Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 51. We'll begin with a brief summation of the book of Joshua, chapters 1 through 3, and follow with a consideration of the meaningful echo and ironic echo after the recap. The book of Joshua begins literally where the Torah leaves off, with one of those in the previous episode of... With the death of Moshe and God's charge to Yoshua to lead the people through the last stage of their exodus from Egypt, crossing the Jordan into the land of Canaan. After borders are delineated, God echoes the words of Moshe from the conclusion of Deuteronomy and throws in a little reminder about the Torah and keeping its laws as a way to ensure success and divine favor. And so Yehoshua sends the Shotrei Ha'am, or as Robert Alter renders it, the people's overseers, to give the word. And the word, well, more like four words, is get ready to march. Yoshua also sends two men to spy out the land, and specifically the walled city of Jericho. They end up in a brothel, which, if you want it to be anonymous and overhear conversations about day-to-day Jericho affairs, that makes perfect sense. But the madam of the house, Rahab, when ordered by the king of Jericho to turn over the Jewish spies he suspects are within, she hides them instead and sends the king's men on a snipe hunt into the fords of the Jordan Valley. Later, when the coast is clear, Rahab tells the men why she hid them. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the dwellers of the land quail before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Sea of Reeds before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two Amorite kings across the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you put to the ban. And we heard, and our heart failed, and no spirit arose in any man before you, for the Lord your God He is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. She then goes on to ask the men to spare her and her family. Considering that Jericho is under Cherem, or a ban, where every person and living thing is to be put to the sword and every valuable item to be set aside for God, it is curious that the spies agree. Or maybe it's not curious. Maybe she saved their, their lives, so I guess they owe her one. So they agree, and they make a big deal of affirming their vow, but also indicating how if Rahav does not keep silent about the visit, or fails to hang a scarlet cord from her window, or lets family members stray out of the protected house when the war begins, whatever happens then, happens. So Rahav, whose house is conveniently located on the outer wall of Jericho, lowers the men from her window with the rope, and instructs them to lay low in the high country for three days until the king's men come back from their fool's errand. The men do as they're told, and eventually return to Yoshua and report what Rahab said to them, which is essentially a direct quote from the Song of the Sea. Yoshua apparently then goes to sleep at the end of chapter 2, because of the, at the beginning of chapter 3, he wakes up early in the morning, and then the people begin to march from Shittim to the bank of the Jordan River. And after three days, the Shotrim, the people's overseers, tell the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, start walking, but keep your distance. And then Yehoshua chimes in, and prepare yourselves, because tomorrow God will do something amazing. And there are a lot of instructions passed around between God, Yehoshua, the Kohanim, the people, but eventually it's go time. The Kohanim take the ark in hand, and as soon as the first toe touches water, the Jordan ceases flowing. And they take up a position in the middle of the Jordan, while the people begin to cross over, from being a ragtag collection of desert-wandering ex-slaves to an emerging nation about to return to the land of their forefathers. Thus endeth the summation, and beginneth the consideration. (music) 
So, when I traveled by air in the mid-1990s, oh, those halcyon days of air travel, and I did a significant amount of flying around back then, back when we used to be able to wear our own shoes and our own clothes, there was always one movie I could watch to take the edge off of what would surely be a very long flight. Forrest Gump. It's the ultimate in par of entertainment. It stars Tom Hanks. Its vanilla bromides are agreeable to every palate. Its light-hearted, nostalgia-filled romp through post-war American history is filled with cliches, yet sweetly engaging. And best of all, Forrest Gump is a solid 2 hours and 22 minutes long. So, in the spirit of being eminently pleasing, here's a quick moment from Forrest Gump. Bubba's family knew everything there was to know about the shrimping business. I know everything there is to know about the shrimping business. Did you hear that? Did you notice how Bubba repeated what Forrest said? This week's episode has an example of that as well. So we have Rahav's very long explanation to the spies why she's saving them. And then you have this quote from Exodus 15.15. The people heard, they shuddered, writhing, seizing Philistia's settlers. And then, terrified, Edom's chieftains, Moab's rams, trembling, did seize them. Then melted away all of Canaan's settlers. Numbers 21 has similar resonance in its discussion about how Sichon and Og were defeated. So what essentially you have here is an echo. Rahab is calling back to previous verses in the Torah, much in the same way that Baba echoes what Forrest says. If you look at the initial contexts, you know, in Exodus 15 and Numbers 21, when somebody sings a song or employs a particular phrase, the meaning it has in the immediate moment could be nothing more than, hey, let everyone, let's sing this song, or God just smote the Amorites, or, or maybe not. Perhaps it's just a throwaway line, that, or folks are just relaying information. But when the lines are repeated later, the line takes on additional meaning. Hence, this device is known as a meaningful echo. But what meaning do Rachav words take on? Perhaps they indicate some kind of prophecy fulfilled, that yes, all the miracles and military victories did strike fear into the people of Canaan. And if that turned out to be true... What else might the verses in Torah predict about the future trajectory of the Jews? And, I should add, the indigenous peoples who get in their way. Echoes, however, also come in different tones. Forrest Gump is filled with ironic echoes. Ironic echoes are like meaningful echoes, except they have a comic effect. Here's another one. It wasn't always fun. Lieutenant Dan was always getting these funny feelings about a rock or a trail or the road. So he'd tell us to get down. Shut up. Get down! Shut up! So we did. Or this. Remember what I told you, Forrest. You're no different than anybody else is. Did you hear what I said, Forrest? You're the same as everybody else. You are no different. Your boy's different, Ms. Gump. That second one was a little different because Forrest's mama's words are echoed inversely by the school principal. But in all these instances, these echoed are definitely deployed for comic effect, which got me to wondering how the scene between Rachav and the spies would have read if it was played for laughs. You know, I employed this strategy while I hate-watched my way through the many seasons of Mad Men. Mad Men is the highly acclaimed television series loved by critics and by Golden Globe and Emmy judges with equal fervor. It premiered on AMC in 2007 and focuses on the men and women who work at the fictional Sterling Cooper ad agency on Madison Avenue. Through its painstaking recreation of 1960s New York, we follow the travails and triumphs of Don Draper and his partners as they navigate social upheaval, inter-office intrigues, and the dog-eat-dog world of advertising. 
The thing is, I sorta liked the show, but I hated practically every character in it. I found many, if not all of them, to be venal, narcissistic, amoral, and obnoxious. And yet, I still watched. Perhaps I was consoled by the fact that, without exception, all those characters are probably dead by now. But I also employed this trick that helped me get through many an episode. Think of Mad Men as a sitcom. Each scene has a sitcom moment, which could have easily been played up for killer laughs. Here's one. The setting. Sterling Cooper's waiting area, tastefully decorated with plants and a small model airplane on a pedestal, which was a gift from a client. Joan, you have a guest in reception who needs a signature. Are you Joan Harris? Yes, that's me. You're served. What? he needed to talk to you about what i don't remember everything everybody says because you're an idiot don't talk to me like that do you understand having you out here is the same as having no one he said he knew you he said it was a surprise a surprise well thank you for that here's a surprise surprise there's an airplane here to see you you're not allowed to do that come on That part where the secretary says, you're not allowed to do that, that just kills me every time. As Jesse David Fox wrote in a piece about Mad Men's funny side, Don Draper, quote, works at an office with a crazy cast of characters. Roger, his wisecracking sidekick, Bert, the in the clouds old guy, Pete the weasel, Harry the buffoon, Ken the very sci-fi sci-fi writer, Stan the overzealous bro, Ginsburg the archetypal manic Jew, a secretary, Don, whose name sounds identical to his, and Joan, the human Jessica Rabbit. I'd watch this show. It sounds pretty funny. I'll post the link to the whole piece of The Next Jew and at the show page on Facebook and Google+. So now I'm thinking that perhaps instead of being didactic or heavy-handed or ham-handed, the, cha- the chapters to come in the book of Joshua with all the wars of annihilation, the ethnic cleansing, and the wholesale slaughter, some really dark stuff, that perhaps it's not meant to be read that way. Or, or let me suggest that there maybe is another way of reading the book of Joshua. One which is more whimsical, ironic, and perhaps inadvertently self-satiric. What a reading like that looks like, well, you're just going to have to come on back next week and find out. If you like what you heard today, tell a friend. Send them an email to say, hey, you should check out Tanakhcast. Or you could do the social media thing and like Tanakhcast at the show pages on Facebook or Google+. Or you could leave a kind word at the comment section at thenextjew.com, or you could write a brief review at the iTunes store. Or you could find Tanakhcast at Stitcher Smart Radio or SoundCloud and leave a similarly kind word there. It's a small thing, really, but it will help me and help other people find Tanakhcast, and I thank you in advance for that. And I encourage you to come on back and join us next week-ish for episode 52, when we continue with the book of Joshua, chapters 4 through 7. 